0: Uh, If you have a Bible with you, uh, if you want to turn to the book of Daniel, which is towards the end of the Old Testament in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on this screen behind me. We've been working through, uh, well, we only just started last week working through the story of Daniel. Uh, Now, if you're not familiar with the story, Daniel is... Uh, a young man, probably just a teenager at the time, who is taken um, from Jerusalem. Uh, He's an Israelite who's taken uh, into exile where the Babylonian empire invades Jerusalem. And they take a remnant, some of the people of God, and they take them back to Babylon, their capital. Uh, And they take Daniel and some of his friends into the court of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and they attempt to train them and indoctrinate them into their worldview. And that's a story that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks and to see what God has to say to us through this story. And just to give you a bit of a health warning, as the weeks go on, Daniel's going to get pretty weird, okay? You know, often you read a... A novel, or you'll watch a movie, and the start is odd, but by the end, it all makes sense. Daniel's kind of the other way around. It starts quite normal, and then as you get into it, you think, what on earth is going on here? So if some of what happens today is a bit peculiar, then just strap on your seatbelts, because you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay, let's start. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 21. It says, but Daniel... Resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance. All the vegans are feeling very smug right now. (laughs) Better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four years, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded them that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Saraias. Let me pray. Jesus, we... Thank you, that as we've been singing about that you're alive, that you defeated death and sin and the devil and you've won this great victory for us. And we get to sing songs of praise and celebration that you're alive today. And that means for those of us who, just like Daniel, find ourselves surrounded by a culture and a city that can often feel very foreign to us and unfamiliar and sometimes confusing or even frightening, we can take great strength and courage and faith because Jesus, we have one who is alive, a king who is on his throne. And we pray as we look at your word today that you would give us faith and courage to follow you, and that we would know more of your wonderful love for us in Jesus name, amen. amen. You might have heard of what's sometimes called the Daniel Fast or the Daniel Diet um, on Instagram about a year ago, the American Hollywood actor Chris Pratt announced to all his followers that he was going to undertake the Daniel Diet to get himself. Ready for the new year. Um, And just to put your minds at ease, that's not what we're going to talk about today. That's not actually what this chapter is about. It's not a chapter about dieting or veganism or the joy of vegetables. What we find here is Daniel is offered the path of least resistance. He's offered The easy road, which we will often find in the world we live in, that will be offered a choice that will seem easy and quick, and yet it can sometimes conflict with what we believe about Jesus, what we read in his word. And you might just say, or maybe people would have said this to him, when in Babylon, you know, when in Rome, when in Amsterdam just fit in. Because if, as we were looking at last week, they've already been taught, Daniel and his friends, a new language, a new literature. They've been given new names, they've been renamed. Their old Jewish names have been taken away and they've been given Babylonian names instead. And you think if they've gone through all of that and not put up a fight and they've not argued, why are they arguing now? when what they're being offered is fine food and wine. And they're arguing, this seems peculiar to us. Why would this happen? Well, there's a couple of possible reasons people don't really know for sure. One could have been because they were just trying to be observant to their faith. That if you read through the Old Testament, there are certain passages which these Jews would have known And they would have followed in their faith about certain unclean food that they couldn't eat. And perhaps they were saying, well, we don't know for sure, but perhaps they were saying, well, this food is unclean. So therefore, to honor our gods, then we can't eat this. Maybe this was just a simple statement about their loyalty to their one true king that they're being offered food from the king's table, wine that the the, the king approved of, and perhaps they were just saying, well, actually, we want to be steadfast in following the one true king that we worship. Or maybe this is a case of not taking down a fence unless you know what it is there for. I don't know if you've heard that expression. It's from a... English philosopher called uh, G.K. Chesterton said, don't take down a fence unless you know what it's there for. Because there might be a bull, a cow, a horse in that field. You might have put yourself in danger. And all around us, we often see we can find a temptation. People say, well, just don't worry about that. And sometimes we don't, we kind of, something in our conscience says, ah, that's it's not right, but I don't quite know why. There's something about this that makes me feel uncomfortable. There's something around this that just doesn't seem right. But the temptation is just, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You know, don't let that stand in your way. But often that's been the problem in the world around us that we've taken fences down And we didn't know what they were there for. Actually, they were there for a reason. If you look back into the 1960s and 70s across the Western world, and you look at the sexual revolution, where lots of fences were taken down, and then you look back over the last two or three years and the Me Too movement, and people often don't put those two together, that lots of fences were taken down, And it caused lots of pain and hurt and horrific abuse. Because we said, oh, we don't need all those rules and structures, we don't need all that horrible legalism, we don't need some distant, mythical God telling us how to live, we can just do what we want. And then 50 years later, we reap the consequences of what was sown. And we don't, as I said, we don't really know why Daniel and his friends chose this route, but it's pretty evident, it's pretty clear from the text that they wanted to be loyal to their God. That that was their heartbeat. As we go through the book, we'll see it again and again. That they're faced with situations, sometimes, Situations that could possibly involve their death, and yet they choose loyalty to their God rather than loyalty to the king. They don't walk the path of least resistance. And all the time we experience often what can feel like the weight of the world on us, attempting to squeeze us into its mold, its way of thinking, it's value system, it's world view. And the question sometimes we need to ask ourselves is, not what's just the path of least resistance? What's just the easy opinion to take, the easy option, the easy thing to do? But what's the path of faithfulness? What does that look like? What does it mean to be faithful to my God? What's that going to look like in my life? And that's what we're going to try and figure out this morning is how Daniel goes about that. How he tries to navigate through the culture around him and how he tries to be faithful. And the first thing that Daniel does is he resolves. He makes a resolve. It says Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He made a resolution in his heart. And what he doesn't do is, like, it's not a cost-benefit analysis. (laughs) He doesn't say, well, if I do this, then I'm going to get this benefit over here. You know, but what is, does the benefit, how does that weigh up against the cost of this decision? Sometimes, how we can view things. If I say this thing, how much visceral and abuse am I going to get? How much are people going to ostracize me from their friendship circle? And it can feel like that. It says, you know, is this, is there going to be a cost to this? And how great is going to be the cost? And what's the benefit to me going to be? And we make choices based around that. But instead, Daniel makes a simple choice that he wants to be holy. Jesus says to us, be holy, for I am holy. And that's the route that Daniel chooses. He doesn't think about the consequences. He doesn't think about what might happen to him or his friends. He chooses the route of holiness. Because I think Daniel, he, I think he understood the difference between achievement and character. He understood the difference between achievement and character. Because so often in the world around us, we think about what we want to achieve, what we want to do with our life. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what kind of person we want to be. You know, at the, when you go to a funeral, it's very rare at a funeral that someone reads out that person's CV, their curriculum vitae of all the things they've achieved. What normally happens is at funeral is people read out eulogies and a usually eulogy is normally about someone 's character about what they were like I know that 's what I want to happen at my funeral i don 't want just a big list of all my achievements. I want people to talk about what I was like that 's much more important. A friend of mine um, who leads the church in Ottawa in Canada, I went to visit him last year and he One thing he often does is he'll take groups of people, he'll get in his car and he'll drive them up this hill out into the Canadian wilderness, and he'll take them to this little graveyard of a Canadian prime minister, and he'll look them in the eye and say, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want people to say about you at the end of your life? What's the story that are you gonna tell? I think that's a profound thing to consider. What kind of person do I, do I want to be? It's not bad to desire achievements, it's not bad to desire that God uses you powerfully in your life. But the tone of the Bible isn't about us totting up lots of things that we've done, but about who we are, about who we worship, about how that affects us. Because essentially what Daniel resolves is that he doesn't want to be like the king. The king eats the fine food and the wine, but he's not concerned about that. Which reminds us back of another story, back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve offered the opportunity to eat the fruit from the tree and to become like God. And they take that path. But Daniel doesn't. He's offered, in, in a sense, the same option. You can be just like a god, just like the king. And he chooses not to go down that route. And the next thing we can see with Daniel is that he's humble. He's even, he's even courteous. It says that, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, Daniel seems very English at this point, doesn't he? Oh please, could you possibly not make me drink this food? You know, he's very, very polite. But I think what, it's interesting how he engages with the world around them. He's not kind of stubborn or rude or superior. He's very courteous, he's polite even. He, he asks permission to, to do this. There's this tone of Humility about him. He's reasonable. He doesn't. He understands that his pursuit of holiness, you know, to be set apart—that's what holiness means. That doesn't mean superiority. Doesn't mean suddenly he's better than everyone else and can look down on them. He's humble in how he approaches this situation. I think that's an important lesson for us. So often as Christians, we just want to shout at people and tell them what we think. But we need to get better at often at just listening before we just dismiss people and ideas. That a lot of battles can be won not with hostility, but with gentleness. That we can make friends, not enemies. That where we're surrounded by people who are often wanting to promote themselves, our job as believers in Jesus is to lift up the weak and the vulnerable instead. And the tone of how we speak and how we act is important. We need to have a humility to us. But even with that humility, it knows how to function. So it says in verse 19 that therefore they stood before the king. And Daniel knows what, what that means to, you see, we see this elsewhere in the Bible. It happens with, in the book of Esther, with Esther, with Nehemiah and Ezra. In all those people, they had moments where they had to go and stand before a foreign guard who was opposed to their way of thinking, who was, in many respects, evil. But they went, in, in a sense of service, they went to stand before these foreign guards and yet they didn't bow, they, they stood. There's an important difference there. Often we can be in situations where sometimes we're even put in positions, perhaps even of responsibility or we're tasked with things by someone or something or, or, or there's a decision that's been made that we think, oh, I don't know how to do this, this seems wrong, this seems bad, but we can still stand and serve. Doesn't mean we have to bow and give our lives to something. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that refusing to compromise on something doesn't mean isolation. You can refuse to compromise, you can stand firm on what you believe, but it doesn't mean you have to isolate yourself. It doesn't mean the church just has to hide away because we were talking last week about these three options that face the church in a world like ours is either to retreat and hide away, is relevance, where we just become like the world and there's no difference between us and everybody else, or resilience, where we choose to be faithful and stand for what we believe. But resilience isn't just a kind of a hard-nosed resistance because often that's what people see of the church. That's what many people who are unbelievers, maybe if you're here and you don't know Jesus, maybe that's your perception of the church. The Christians just like to stand and shout at people. It's about resistance and coercion. You know, trying to kind of offend people and get in people's faces. Well, we don't have to be like that. Sometimes it is appropriate to make us stand, to speak up for the voiceless. That's important. But most of the time, I think our posture, our position, should be one of not compromise. We need to be resilient and stand up for what we believe. But there's a humility, there's a reasonableness that can come with that, which is important. Because Jesus told us to be In the world, but not of the world. And Jesus also said to us that we could be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I think that's the path that Daniel is trying to walk here and the one that we can walk. He's being shrewd, he's being wise, he's almost being a bit sneaky, perhaps, but there's a holy innocence to him. But that, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's difficult to really give you like a formula or a description, because most of the time there isn't one answer. Often people will come to me and will explain a situation, perhaps in their workplace, in their university. Someone has asked me to do this, or someone has said that. Or someone has asked me as a Christian what I believe about this. How should I respond? There, is, there isn't like a set formula of follow this five-point plan, and then you'll have your answer. But what's important is faithfulness. That at the core of who Daniel was and his decisions was one to be faithful to God. There's a link in this story into the book of Revelation where Daniel and his friends for 10 days took this diet as a test In Revelation chapter 2, it talks about the church in Smyrna, which is tested for 10 days. It's kind of making a link to Daniel. And they're they're told to be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. That's the route that Daniel and his friends take all throughout this book, is they're going to be faithful because I know there's greater king with a greater crown waiting for them. They choose to be faithful. Now, you might be thinking that this is perhaps exactly what you expected church to be like. That perhaps this might seem to you a bit gloomy, a bit um, introspective, a bit legalistic, it can sound like I'm talking about um, you know, repression, self-denial. You don't eat the nice things, just eat vegetables. Perhaps that seems a bit gloomy to you. Perhaps that fits with your perception of Christianity. It's just all about self-denial and hardship and you know, just repressing all your feelings and emotions. And just kind of gritting your teeth and living a boring, grey life. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, it's not. It's not. Because if we look at the results of Daniel's... Because Daniel does deny himself. And it's important that we learn how to do that as well. But let's look at the results of what happens. First of all, in verse 9, it says God... Gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs God gives Daniel favour and compassion in verse 15 it says at the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh by better in appearance I don't think it means just like better looking that he was suddenly this kind of stud at the end of it I think it just means he was sort of fitter and stronger and healthier. Verse 17, it says, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And it concludes in verse verse 20, it says, in in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better. 10 times better as we see as we go through those verses it's it's trying to make a point to us that Daniel's self-denial Daniel's faithfulness it achieves some things it wins him favor and blessing that it does does him good 10 times better than the world around him see what i think what Daniel what Daniel wanted What Daniel wanted was to remain free. That's his goal here, is freedom. It's freedom. That's what the English theologian C. H. Spurgeon said. He said, captive as he was. He had a right royal soul and he was as free in Babylon as he had been in Jerusalem and he determined to keep himself so Daniel had found freedom in God and he didn't want to lose it by giving himself to something else Daniel wanted to stay free G.K. Chesterton, who I quoted from earlier, he said that in freeing ourselves from Christianity, he's talking about culture as a whole, in seeking to free ourselves from Christianity, all we've done is free ourselves from freedom. That's the true message of Christianity. That's why we're called Liberty Church, because freedom is found in Jesus Christ and not by giving yourself to all sorts of idols and gods and things that promise freedom but will end up dominating you and your life. There's this weird paradox in Christianity where true freedom is found in devotion. That's where freedom is found in devotion. And all the time, we're lied to by the world around us that tells us that freedom can be found in having more money, that freedom can be found in having more pleasure, freedom can be found in not letting anybody tell you what to do, ever. But yet, if you walk that path, if you walk that road, you'll find some small snippets, some small tastes of freedom But what you'll essentially find in the long term is something completely opposite. You'll find your life gets locked down. That you'll find all these things that promise you freedom will end up ruling you and governing you. You'll find no true lasting joy in any of those things. Because, as I said before, If we look back to that story in the start of the Bible, that in a sense Daniel is offered the forbidden fruit. Just as Adam and Eve were offered this fruit from the tree, and they were given this promise that you don't need to live like a commoner, you don't need to live like anyone else. You can live like a king, you can be like God. Eat this fruit. Daniel's given the same option. Take the food and the wine from the king's table. Live like a king. But whereas Adam and Eve gave in, Daniel resolves. Because Daniel doesn't want to eat this meal because he's looking forward to a better meal. That's the meal that Daniel wants to enjoy talks in Revelation 19 about this beautiful passage where it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb that he has prepared in heaven in eternity for those who believe in him. A marriage feast. A supper of all the finest foods, all the choicest delights laid aside for us in Christ. There's a, another king whose meat and drink we can rejoice to eat. But the thing is, we get to enjoy that feast, not even in the future, but now. You get to enjoy true freedom, true joy, true happiness even all through the hardships of life, you get to receive the lavish blessings of following Jesus. And wonderfully, not because of our obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience. That Daniel is just a picture for us of how Jesus, in the same way, he resolved It said in the New Testament that when he was having to consider what was going to happen to him, his brutal, horrific death, that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, that he resolved in his heart, I'm going to walk this path. He lived this life of perfect, total obedience so that we could walk free so that we could enjoy this marriage supper that he's prepared for us and if you don't know Jesus this morning that's our invitation to you not a life of grim legalistic greyness but true lasting joy peace hope You get to come and enjoy all that God has for you. And not because you've lived the perfect life, but because Jesus already has for you. And if you're a believer in Jesus today, that's the message we want you to go home with today. Not just try harder. You know, I want to live faithfully. I want to be holy. But knowing that Jesus in perfect holiness and faithfulness has won me by his grace. That just like Daniel, I don't want to give myself to all these other things because I don't want to lose my freedom that I've gained in him. Why would I give myself to all these other things when I have true freedom in Jesus Christ? Let me pray and then the band are going to lead us. Jesus, we... Thank you for this wonderful example that we see in Daniel. God, and we want to, when we're faced with a a culture that often seems opposed to us, or even sometimes it's just confusing, we want to live lives of faithfulness, just of devotion and holiness and faithfulness to you, but not because we have to, but because of the wonder of your grace, You've won for us something better. That in you there's 10 times better life to enjoy. And we we don't want to give that over for some idle passing pleasure. Jesus, we want to fix our eyes on you. We want to thank you and sing praise for your grace and your love. And ask for your help to follow you. Amen.